It's funny because it's when that aha moment happened in that class, I was like, I have yeah. to write a book about this. Uh, and I think it no was- No way. That's uh, such a cool response. Yeah. Yeah. And it was one of those things where I was like, one day in the future, I'll write this book. Like, And then when <laughs> my path in New York City really came to an end, it felt like God kind of being like, now's the time. And I even had a moment where I was praying in church and I was like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Because- I'm trying to succeed in the fashion industry. It's not working out. I don't even really want that anymore. And now I feel like you've led me to a place where the thing that I wanted so badly is no longer appealing to me. And I feel like I'm being led away from that. But what are you leading me to? What do you want me to do? That was my prayer. And I remember this voice in my head that said, you're a writer, so write. Welcome to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. My name is Brad Piron, and I am joined virtually by my new friend, Lillian Fallon. Lillian, great to have you. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Yeah, you know it. Well, I'm actually laughing because I have decided that I'll call you Lily throughout the interview because you were telling me that that name uh, fits your personality a little differently than Lillian. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. A few years ago, I was coming up with my byline and I was like, man, I need to sound like a real legit professional writer. And I was like, Lillian Fallon. So, but I'm very much (laughs) a Lily as people will come to know as they listen to me speak. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, and and tell, uh, tell us, uh, anyone listening that, um, haven't gotten to know you, like, uh, you were telling me that you're living in your hometown of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, but your life between maybe the two stints in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania was a little uh, different than what life in Bethlehem might look like. So you want to share with us a little bit about your life? Yeah, I never would have thought that I'd be moving back to my hometown, but here I am. I was always that girl who was like, I'm going to move to New York City and I'm going to live that fabulous lifestyle. Like, got to get out of here where I'm from. (laughs) And so I actually went to, um, I went to Ave Maria University. Yeah, go gyrains. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that. (laughs) Um, yes. So I went to Ave and I took, you know, theology of the body, which is essentially why I'm here right now. But while I was there, I was lucky enough to get an internship in New York. And so right after college, I moved straight to New York City. I was doing this like city girl scene. And that was, you know, very great. But then towards the end of my four years there, I really felt called by God to pursue something entirely different than working in the mainstream fashion industry, which is where I've landed now with theology of style. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now I'm, I'm back in my hometown and a lot happier than I ever was in New York City, which is insane to think. I would have never thought that I would be that girl. Um, yeah, it is. It's interesting happier. how the Lord brings us. Yeah. it's it, He brings us... Uh, It's been funny recently. I've been reflecting on how our lives sometimes can be a corkscrew where the Lord kind of like circle us to the same things over and over, but it gets a little deeper each time. And, uh, and that's like actually happened with you and in your hometown, but tell me a little bit about fashion. So what, what like from an early age got you involved in fashion? Why were you excited about it? What intrigued you about it? Yeah, it was essentially, it feels like from birth, it was something that I was utterly enraptured by I always Mm -hmm. loved putting on like outfits as even like a little girl like some of my earliest memories is 
really being particular about the dresses or the, you know, outfits that I put together and having a really strong opinion about it. And then drawing things like I was drawing fashion designs really before anything else and showing them to my family. (laughs) And that was that was the dream, essentially, from being like five up until a teenager and beyond. Um, When I was a teenager, I was just pouring over the fashion magazines, Harper's Bazaar, Vogue, Hmm. watching fashion week shows. And I had the map of New York City, Manhattan on my wall. And I was like, one day I'm going to get there. One day. That's where my apartment's going to (laughs) be. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to take over the fashion world. And um, I was a bit conflicted about, well, how does my faith play into this? Mm. Um, Because Mm. I was raised Catholic and it was something that I really became very invested in in high school where I was kind of thinking like, well, is this what I really believe? And so I Mm -hmm. decided when I was applying to colleges that I wanted to go somewhere that I would have a strong foundation in my faith, kind of before launching myself into the world. Um, And but I still had that question of does being interested in fashion and clothing make me materialistic? Because I would think of um, Mm -hmm. uh, the um, young rich man, the uh, parable of the young rich man. And like, okay, do I need to let go of all my earthly material possessions? Does this Mm -hmm. love for clothing and self-expression, does that make me somebody of the world? And Mm -hmm. should I completely forego my interest in fashion? And so that kind of did play a little bit of a role in moving or doing, um, going Ave and, Mm -hmm. but it ended up being so providential because when I took that theology of the body course, it completely informed a new perspective on the human person and specifically the materiality of the body, which Mm -hmm. then Mm -hmm. was the aha moment, the light bulb moment where I realized that actually the expression of the human person is important and that it can involve the things that we wear. So, so that was kind of the, my, the beginnings of Lily and fashion and all of that and where I was set up then to pursue this mission. I love that. Yeah. So in, in, in our uh, world here at Damascus, we run uh, youth retreats in camps and we have a missionary program of young adults and we're talking to them all the time about how the natural and the supernatural come together. That like we in our persons, we, we are not souls trapped in bodies and we're not bodies that are held hostage by souls. We're a composite of those things. So like the things that we're interested in naturally, the Lord can use in supernatural ways. He can use it to bring people to him, which is why I love the the thought of you in high school realizing like, okay, Lord, I have these passions that I only understand through a secular lens, but I have this faith that is so dear to me. How can those coincide? And so when you made the decision to go to Ave and study theology, did you study fashion or anything like that while you were in Florida too? Or was that just kind no, of the passion just, behind It was just everything? the passion. I was like, you know, so I... I majored in literature, um, which kind of plays into okay. the writing thing. Cause like I wrote, yes. wrote a and I was we're both expert. nerds. We're both, we're both yeah. reading and writing nerds, you and me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, well, like when I went to Ave, it was just kind of, you know, class, like regular majors. Um, the craziest mm-hmm. thing was probably like a nursing major. Um, so I really wanted something sure. creative and, um, I'm just, I'm really glad that the theology of the body course was the one that 
that just changed everything for me. So. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, th that theology, the body course was, uh, was there anything in particular in the, in the class that you remember as like a, a moment that shifted your perspective, your heart, or was it just the class as a whole? Oh, it was definitely a specific moment. Um, I remember sitting there and it was, it's very much imprinted in my mind. Um, so the yeah. professor who was Dr. Michael Waldstein, who actually translated the original um, text, the, or the yeah. Wednesday audiences. Um, and so he was my teacher and that was like a blessing in and of itself. Such a gift. Yeah. I know. Like, oh my gosh. So um, he was reading the theology of the body. And he said that um, the body and only the body can make visible the invisible, the spiritual and the divine. And I think up until that point, mm. I really had seen the body as this thing that was like so antagonistic to my soul and was yeah. the thing that was trying to drag me to hell. And that tying mm -hmm. into my interest in fashion where it was like, I'm bringing attention to my body. I'm bringing attention yeah. to materiality, materiality, which somewhere in my mind, I believed was inherently bad. And that's mm -hmm. not a Catholic belief. And like, it's not, I somehow got kind of caught up in this, um, I don't know, like puritanical mindset where yeah. I was like the body and materiality is not good. So this aha mm -hmm. moment for me in theology of the body was this explanation that the body manifests the soul and that those mm -hmm. like literally what you were just saying, that these are two inseparable things. And yeah. when explain that the body makes visible the invisible the spiritual and mm. divine like sacramentality i was like okay so if the body is good and if the body manifests the divine and is an, an expression of the soul then the things that we put on our bodies have to be important too um yeah. and how can we use yeah. those how can we use clothing in a way to further express the beauty of the soul. So that was hmm. the launching point for me where I was like, oh, wow. So that my body is not bad. My body right. is good. And my love for the expression of the human person through clothing, that is hmm. something that's also good and not something that I have to kind of ignore or think is like, oh, that's your silly um, superficial girly obsession. It's actually something that can help people. Um, yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I ended up writing the book. Yeah. That, that's so <laughs> awesome. That's so awesome. It's funny. Cause, uh, I got married about three years ago and my wife is a little fashionista and me being from Southern Ohio, I don't really always put, uh, We'll, we'll say I don't put things together in a way that work all the time. That's a good way of saying it, I think. And um, it, it's been really beautiful, though, for me to actually escape some of the predispositions I had because I left my small town to go to Ohio State, a big city. And um, and I think that if I'm being completely honest, there was some self-consciousness coming into a big city and kind of knowing the, we'll call them fashion habits of a small town and coming into a big city where people were just dressing in, in ways that were unfamiliar to me and, and in the ways that I was dressing, uh, were maybe laughing at it and things like that. And I had to, it's been beautiful actually in my marriage to see how, um, as I've learned more about Nina's perspective on wearing things that like 
bring creativity alive. It's allowed me some freedom to actually get past some insecurities and self-consciousness in myself where I'm like, no, I am going to try to wear that now. And it's interesting to even say that, uh, especially like as a, as a guy who's usually leading up men's sessions and things like that. But there is something about, um, there's something about the entirety of us that we're made to be whole. Like we're not made for those self-conscious pockets where we're, we're anxious to, um, to try something. And I, I, I wonder, um, like what was your, um, what was your experience like in a small town in Pennsylvania, like growing up with a lot of excitement around fashion? Did you, uh, yeah. did, did you always kind of match the style of the small town or were you uh, a creative Whoa. creature in the midst of a lot of nor both. like, uh, norms? <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. both because, so I was homeschooled and that okay. allowed me to not really have that pressure from school kids who, you know, in the school system, you have your own set of trends and wanting to fit in and that pressure to, yeah, like look like the other kids and be, be one of the cool kids. I definitely sure. was blessed in that my mom very much encouraged my interest in fashion. So she let me get the Teen Vogue and the Harper's Bazaar. And um, my, my, my days, I would wake up and I would say, like, how crazy can I look today? Like, I would wear some <laughs> crazy stuff. Like, I wore, um, like, ripped up jeans underneath, like, plaid skirts with band jackets and combat boots. Like, I was very much excited to look as kooky as possible. And I think that hmm. a big part of that wanted to be – I wanted to be seen as unique. I wanted to be seen as an individual yeah. very much, which I think is um, – something that we have in the, uh, desire of our, all of our hearts. Um, there were also times when, um, so I started working at the mall when I was a teenager and then again, I, I felt kind of a pressure to be like the cool kids. And so I did start sure. dressing like the, you know, the trends at the mall. Um, sure. and then I, once I stopped working there, then I started dressing very kooky and weird again. And then I, when I moved to New York City, it's really funny because you'd think that in New York, you just have endless variety and um, just a lot of diversity in personal style, but you actually have a lot of conformity in the city. And mm. so I mm. actually went through a period when I was there working at this magazine and actually like working in the fashion industry where I felt really pressured to look like everyone else. And yeah. that coincided with this loss of my own, um, my, my own personal identity and even my understanding of being made in the image of God as an individual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And kind of what, like going back to what you were saying, especially with your wife, is that yeah. and what you were also saying about this getting over yourself and it being personal mm -hmm. style and creativity having to do with humility. Um, when I mm. decided when I was in New York, I was like, okay, I'm dressing like everybody else. Um, and I don't know who I am. I'm like, who, like, yeah, like, who am I anymore? Um, mm. when I started dressing more creative, creatively, I, mm. I, you, you kind of have to have this element of like, I don't care. I'm not taking it so seriously. What matters mm -hmm. is that I'm reflecting how I was made as an individual and who God sees me as and how am I reflecting my 
soul with the things that I'm wearing and it being a genuine expression of myself. Um, it, it very much does tie creativity and humility are very much connected. Um, so interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's a good word. Yeah. And I, I say a lot, like when it comes to my book, it's like, don't take it so seriously. Like don't take mm-hmm. clothing and personal style so seriously. It's really about being creative because when we're yeah. creative, we are reflecting the ultimate creator himself. And especially mm-hmm. as women, it's interesting because you brought up your wife and how she's super creative. Mm-hmm. That is such also a feminine yeah. trait just to be creative mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. women like biologically are creative. Like we conceive life, we create life in our wombs. Like our, mm-hmm. our hearts so and our souls are creative. So mm-hmm. when we dress in a way that reflects that it's, um, it's very much this like self like, it's like a, I don't know. It's just like such a testament to how God made w- women. So yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, you can so clearly see the theology of the body and the things you say, I, I can see where that's become a, a passion, but I completely, I completely agree. I think one of the things that you were saying in that, that response is, um, was something around the idea that when you were in New York, whereas you might think that there's a lot of individuality there, there's actually a lot of conformity. And I think that's an interesting um, thing that we're experiencing in, in the world today in so many ways, maybe even in the church today too, is that in the, in the name of inclusion, we've lost the beauty of diversity. That like we, we, we say that we want to bring everything together, but in bringing it all together, it uses, it, it um, not uses, but loses those unique aspects that you're talking about. Like, I love the fact that there's not another Lily out there and that I get to talk to Lily right now. Right. Or that there's not another, uh, this person who I met on the subway out there, but it's this person and I get to speak to them and their, uh, uniqueness. And I I think that's, that's a a line that blessed me in my walk with the Lord shortly after conversion. So I was born and raised Catholic, but the two most important days in the Catholic's life is the day they're baptized and the day they find out why, you know, it just took me like 20 years to to kind of find out why. And, um, but once that happened, I was at a conference and there was this line that I have implemented into so many of my talks now. And it's that, um, it's that you and I, like each individual, that you are a unique, specific, and unrepeatable image of Jesus Christ to the Father. Yeah. That when the Father looks at Brad, when the Father looks at Lily, he sees a unique aspect of his son. Like he sees something he put in Lily and Brad that he didn't put in anyone else. Yeah. And the way that we, um, it, it, like you were saying, in humility and modesty, but the, the, the way that we reflect that to the world can be so creative. And it's funny because before preparing for this interview today, I hadn't thought of style in that light. And I'm sure you get that a lot probably. And I I wonder like, um, yeah, I I, I wonder when you decided to finally write this book, like, um, was it just because you had heard so many people unable to put together um, style, which was such a passion with yours with theology or was there like, I guess, what was your impetus to finally put pen to paper and say, Hey, everything I've been experiencing, we should put it in a book. Yeah. That's a good question. 
it's funny because it's when that aha moment happened in that class, I was like, I have to write a book about this. Uh, And I think it was- No way. That's uh, such a cool response. Yeah. Yeah. And it was one of those things where I was like, one day in the future, I'll write this book. Like, And then when (laughs) my path in New York City really came to an end, it felt like God kind of being like, now's the time. And I even had a moment where I was praying in church and I was like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Because- I'm trying to succeed in the fashion industry. It's not working out. I don't even really want that anymore. And now I feel like you've led me to a place where the thing that I wanted so badly is no longer appealing to me. And I feel like I'm being led away from that. But what are you leading me to? What do you want me to do? That was my prayer. And I remember this voice in my head that said, you're a writer, so write. And I was like, oh, wow. And all of the anxiety that I had about my life, about my future, my career, what I was doing melted away. And I was like, I had been given this direction of like, I need to write this book because I had been dabbling with, you know, Instagram posts and articles that touched on this topic of, you know, how the human person, the anthropology of the human person is reflected in everything we do, including what we wear. And um, I think that the big push also was just this desire to help women to really understand their worth, because kind of going back to what you were saying about um, even, yeah, even within the church, this loss of diversity and I think that we all naturally look to the communities around us or the world around us for Mm -hmm. to fit in. And for me, when I was in New York City, I was looking for affirmation from the world rather than affirmation from God. So in looking for affirmation from the world, that was reflected in the things that I was wearing and how I was expressing myself, which Mm -hmm. looked like everybody else. Um, But when I was looking for my identity in God, not my identity in the world, I saw myself exactly what you were saying as God sees me as an unrepeatable individual, that there's no one else who's come before me, who is just like me. There's no one else who will come after me, who is just like me. And he sees me and he delights in my uniqueness. And so Mm -hmm. the more that I was looking to understand my identity in his eyes, see myself through his eyes, the more I was just filled with an unwavering sense of self-worth. And mm-hmm. I believe that this fractured worth that so many of us deal with in our culture and the brokenness of so many people boils down to not having a clear sense of our worth. And yeah. something even as simple and seemingly silly, I guess, to some people as personal style Maybe that kind of answers your question where people like didn't put style with this pursuit of worth. Maybe that's kind of the answer to this is that I was frustrated that people weren't seeing style as something that could really aid your your faith life, like something that could help your Mm -hmm. relationship with God. And so the big chunk, the big like beginning chunk of my book is like, why is personal style something that is serious to consider? Like, why is this legit? (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. I go into that in the book, but the whole goal of the book is to help women understand their inherent worth. Um, Yeah. Yeah. 
that was kind of the big push. Um, to talk no, about. I see that. No, that's so important because yeah, the, I mean, the woman's the pinnacle of creation. And of course, if one of the things we tell the missionaries here, in addition to the things I've already said is that like, if you want to see the things of highest value, look for the things in the world that are, are most profaned, you know, the things that are gone after the most, yep. look at sexuality, look at the family, look at the, look at the, the beauty of the woman, like all of these things that the Lord actually put into the world to, to put his fingerprints on, we, we see needing to be re, uh, in, invigorated in their, their worth, right? That like, no, exactly. your sexuality is good. No, no family and marriage is good. No beauty is good. Like all these things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Cause, um, Matt Frad, who's become a friend of the the ministry here on his podcast will often say something that I want to credit him with, but I'm sure if he listens to this interview and it's not his to have the credit for it, he'll, he'll let us know. But he, uh, he says, he says that, um, we should not demand conformity where the church has allowed for diversity of expression. And he usually says that in regards to okay. liturgy, in regards to uh, personal uh, faith um, walks, but I love it in the context of life generally, you know, because yeah. um, there is, there is at least in my mind, a, a plausible uh, argument for the, for the side you're taking Lily in that, God could have just made us all the same if he wanted. He could have just made us all look the same and sound the same and have the same yeah. interests and all that, but he didn't. And so if he didn't, he did it on purpose. And then we have to ask, what might that purpose be? Well, to bring uniqueness and well, to show really how big he is, right? How, how, um, yeah, because he wants relationship with us and the way that he shows and reveals himself to us is look at all of these unique individuals who all have part of me in them. Mm -hmm. And if there's part of me in them, imagine what happens in me when all of that's brought together. And so, yeah, there's something, uh, there's yes. something so good about yeah. all of that. Any well, thoughts on that? I just went on for like yeah. a couple minutes. <laughs> no, um, I want to all, I, what you're saying is reminding me of, um, our call to self gift. And mm -hmm. when we think about our call to unity with each other, there are, mm -hmm. in our everyday life, we do things that reflect that call, that perennial call to be in union with each other, to be in community and, you know, ultimately to be in union with God. And, um, and personal style and the things mm -hmm. that we wear are just a natural communication. Like you learn so much about somebody and the things that they're wearing. And if somebody is especially dressing in a way that reveals the unseen parts of them, reveals and gives a voice to the things within them that they're not saying. Um, mm. It is a gift to the people around them. It's a gift to those they encounter because then they're being able to see the interior part of you that reflects who God is. And so they're yeah. also in encountering you and the beauty of your soul and the individuality and just how God mm -hmm. made you in his image, the person is also encountering God. And then there's that connection and that communion that we have. It's unique. And we're all, that's what we want in life. We want communion. We want unity. And I talk about in mm -hmm. my book how 
especially with men and women, personal style can be such a cool way to try and repair the lost communication, the ease of communication between men and women after the fall. And I talk about mm -hmm. how the fig leaf was originally the, a sign of disunity, of the shame, mm -hmm. of, you know, a yeah. sense. But God's greatest creation is that he can bring good out of anything bad. And hmm. so now, hmm. so the original clothing was something that was born out of shame and disunity and lack of communication between man and woman. But now the things that we wear can be an hmm. aid in the communication between masculinity and femininity. Because women, like literally, like what you were just saying about your wife, how she's so creative, that is her really sharing a beautiful part yeah. of femininity, the create the creative spirit, like colors, shapes and textures. <laughs> um, yeah. And that communicates femininity and men's fashion tends to be more stable and emphasizes mm. the strength of his form. And there's a lot mm -hmm. of like no fuss to men's fashion, but I think that also speaks to the beauty of masculinity. Like the, like I said, like stability and consistency yeah. and security. Um, That's such so, an interesting perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's like set style and the things that we wear can be a way to have unity with each other. And that's what our <laughs> lives, you know, we're trying to seek ultimate unity with God. So we're just that's doing right. that in our everyday lives anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think you're, you're, you're zoning in on something like so so clearly true in the faith that, well, I mean, Gaudium et Spes 24, right? That man cannot oh. find himself except through a sincere gift of himself. And, and in order for the man, uh, in order for, well, and if we look at it in the sexes, in order for man and woman to, to truly make a gift of themselves, there's a self-possession that happens, right? That Paul talks about be, be self-possessed in everything. Right. And, and yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Because there's something about when I'm possessing myself truly, I'm no longer afraid of those unique parts of me, right? Like I'm, I'm not hiding from something. And yeah, it, it's interesting that you mentioned, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And it, and I, I was drawing a connection. You were mentioning uh, in Eden, the fig leaves. I, I also like um, find a lot of interest in that when, when the Lord expels Adam and Eve from the garden, when they're leaving, he, he closed them with animal hide. And it, it's, it's always been interesting to me because the Lord makes a move there that seems to suggest something like in order to clothe you both in dignity, something's going to have to die. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a beauty in that because he's, he's telling a story through the clothes he's putting on them. Yeah. He, like he's, he's embodying, he's embodying a narrative. He's saying like, Yes, I, I see that the nakedness has caused shame, but now what you'll be clothed in is greater than the fig leaves. You're going to be clothed in, in a narrative that is truly unique to you, too. Yeah, Jesus died for us, like he died for y'all, but he also died for you, Lily, and me. And and there's a there's clearly something there, right? I, I wonder what you think about that. Man, I'm like, that is such a cool point. I never thought about that with like being clothed in, you know, the animal skins and that being reflective sure. of that story of like where they came from and who they are and yeah. what that means. And I where they're, and where they're going. Yeah, right. Because it's going. like, yeah. yeah. Cause Jesus, like eventually Jesus is going to die on Calvary and that's, what's actually going to clothe you. But yes. right now you have animal skin, which is indicating like, 
watch me write this story for you. Like, like it's, yeah. there's this, I don't know, creative narrative, like the Lord's a creator. I mean, obviously Genesis, <laughs> obviously he's a creator. Right. That's, I really love what you just said. I'd have to like think more about that and ponder <laughs> sure. on that. That is, I love that though. That is, yeah. There's something, there's something yeah. amazing whenever we, well, it, it's funny because like I said, fashion has always been like an afterthought of mine. Part, part of that, and you've spoken to it so well, part of that is the the masculine part of my heart that pursues creativity in other ways. But part of it has also been because I've never made the connections you're making, which is why I was so excited to to do the interview today. But let's, let's jump to the book a little bit if we can, because I, I would be able to talk to you, I think, all day about uh, yeah, <laughs> different musings of mine from scripture and, and what it's you think so about them. Uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but tell me, so uh, we've talked a little bit about um, your, your passions growing up and how that eventually led you to go to Ave Maria and how even in studying theology, your passion for fashion was still there how you desired to bring theology of the body into the fashion world. And then how in that class, your heart was moved to write something about the truths that you're talking about here. Bring us into writing the book itself. So the theology of style. So uh, Ascension Press published publishes it. I, I'm sure there's yeah. so many pieces to all of it, but theology of style, as you were putting pen to paper, as you were getting ready for it to be published, like, um, Talk to us about the flow of it, your yeah, heart for it, and just uh, open, no pun intended, but open book for you to, oh, to fill yeah. in as you will. It was such a process. It took me like four years to write it. And I think a big part of that <laughs> had to do with just the pressure of writing something that had so much, so many theological elements to it and being, it just felt overwhelming. And also what I had done, it was back in like 2017, I was like, announcement to everyone, I am writing a book about this and <laughs> it will be like, blah, 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 blah. Like I had already established a following on social media on this topic of the theology of the body and style. And so I had people who were like, oh, this is like pretty cool. Um, we want to know more about it. And then I made this big announcement that I'm writing a book on it. And so that was, uh, it was kind of a lot of pressure. It wasn't something that I was like writing in the background where I was like, nobody knows that I'm writing this. It was this thing that I had declared and then really had to follow through on because I had declared it. And um, mm -hmm. during that time, I was, I think, I'm trying to think if I was like still in New York at that time. I may have been. Um, but I started taking jobs that were like part time just so that I had the bandwidth to write a book on the days that I wasn't working, but I still needed to make money. So sure. I took like different freelance jobs and just like different part time work so that this was my thing that I would pour over. And so the beginning process of it was me scouring through theology of the body um, itself and trying to find things that made sense to what I was trying to um, communicate, my, my own mission. Yeah. I didn't want to take St. John Paul II's words and try and force them into my mm -hmm. little like agenda. Yeah, and like, quite also, Catholic of you, right? Yeah. We want to make sure that the exegesis is right. <laughs> exactly. I was like... Yeah, yeah. And also a big worry of mine was like, I really hope I'm not saying anything heretical. Like I, 
even like, welcome to the life of ministry, right? It's always like, I hope heresy check anybody. Can you check for yes. me? <laughs> well, so, so I'm writing this thing and it was, it was very pressureful and like, I put a lot of pressure on myself to do it. Um, but I sure. felt like this was the thing that I was called to do. And more, I was sh- more sure of that than like anything else in my life, that this was the thing that God wanted me to do. And so it was really during the quarantine and like after quarantine, the year after that I was like, the rubber hit the road and I was, and the, the first, the writing process was a lot of, like I said, taking theology of the body. And I had this like whole separate document that was like everything that I needed to kind of break down and explain because because when you're writing a book that involves theology first you have to take the theological work itself understand it yourself make sure that you understand what it's saying then you have to explain it in a way so that other people understand it (laughs) and then you have to tie that in with what you're trying to say and connect it so it was a bit of like you know a process um (laughs) And then it was last summer that I really hit my stride with writing it. And I'll never forget. I think it was in August. I wrote the last sentence and I was like, and it's done. I was like, I think I just wrote the last sentence of this book. I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, I have nothing else to say on this topic mm-hmm. and it's over. Mm-hmm. And so what I had, <laughs> what I did was I posted about it on social media. I was like, and my, the last word of theology of the body has been written. <laughs> and everybody was like, yeah, congrats. And it was so nice. Cause I've had everybody following on this journey yeah. with me. I was very candid about this process, you know, like mm-hmm. posting on Instagram, like here I am writing this book. Yeah. It's a Saturday yeah. at midnight. I'm still writing. Um, and it was somebody from Ascension who messaged me because they were following me on social media and they said, do you have a publisher? And I was like, no, not yet. Um, and they were like, oh, well. <laughs> why Let us tell you about one. <laughs> yeah, why don't you send over the manuscript? <laughs> and um, sure. so I did, and then we did some videos. So I did Ascension Press videos or Ascension Presents. And they, cause they wanted yeah. to see like, how will the audience even respond to this? Because it's like about style and theology of body. They might not like want to learn about that. So um, sure. we did some videos and the response was really great. And so then they were yeah. like, well, green light, we will sign this book and get it going. That's but so that, good. Mm-hmm. That's so good. It's, it's yeah. fun to see passion come to fruition. You know, that's, that's really exciting. Can you share with us some about, um, well, well, obviously you've been doing it on social media longer than the the book itself being available, but like what, what have been some of the responses and have any of them surprised you? Yeah. Okay. So when I first started writing about this, it, there wasn't really a space on Catholic social media because it's weird Catholic social media is its own world. It's like this bizarre mm-hmm. little system. <laughs> we all kind of like sure. know each other. Like everybody's kind of aware of who the other is. It's a small Catholic influencer world. And so <laughs> existing in this space, I was I was kind of I was the only one who was making a theological connection to personal styles. So um, mm. if 
other people had written about it, it was usually in the regard of like, um, you know, dressing to dignify your body is important and to express like, you know, um, your infinite worth. That was a conversation that had been going on, but there wasn't really a connection to like the why, like what what is the kind of like bare bones of like, what is the anthropology of the human person? How does that relate to the things that we wear? And so the response at first was kind of like, wow, this is something that people would say, this is something that I've been thinking and feeling for a very mm -hmm. long time, but hadn't really put the words or the theology to yet. So yeah, sure. Yeah. I had a lot of people who were like, I feel this, like this is something that I've always really felt and believed, but didn't know how to identify it and connect it with the church and church teaching. Mm. So um, that was like really cool. I was like, wow, okay. So this is something yeah. that people already identify with. So um, so the response was was overwhelmingly great. I I had so many amazing women who supported me throughout this whole thing, um, a really strong community. And uh, yeah, does that answer your question? I'm trying to, what was it? It, to it, to it totally <laughs> does. No, 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 you're, you're right on. I was just, cause I think it's, it's interesting because I, I'm, I'm sure that like getting the content out feels good in and of itself. Cause it's expressing something that's in you. Right. Yeah. But then when people respond to that content, I'm sure there's times when it's just like, I'm so grateful that this is blessing someone else's walk with the Lord, or this is helping someone else not create this dichotomy between yes. what they desire and like and their faith that, that actually these can coincide, you know? Right. Especially with young girls. I think that's hmm. the demographic that I feel most called to serve um, by yeah. really emphasizing, Hey, the way like you've been made so unique and one of a kind and what we were saying earlier is that there's nobody else who is just like you. And in a time in our lives where we feel we compare ourselves to others and we're just inundated with images of other women and like picture perfect people, there is only mm -hmm. one you and you are desired for all eternity. There, you are one of a kind. So let's, why not dress like that so that it affirms to you how beautiful you are. Um, mm -hmm. I just think it's so mm -hmm. important for young girls. And so I'll meet it. So it's cool because I'll give talks to teenagers. Like it was over the summer that I gave, I was giving a series of talks at Catholic family land and yeah, sure. a girl afterwards was crying and hugged me. And she said, thank you so much for not shaming us. Thank you for not like making us feel bad. And I think that the conversation around huh. personal style has revolved a lot around modesty. And modesty is, of course, something that's sure. very important. But when yeah. we, when that's the only conversation that's happening in the church is about how you yeah. should not dress and how you should not be a temptation. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Packaging becomes so negative and dragged down. And when we mm -hmm. talk about how if fun and expressive and how you are a beautiful person, let's dress in a way that celebrates that. Yeah. Like it's a yeah. different, it's a different um, way of affirming younger, young girls. Yeah. I think that's so good that, 
that, yeah, that I, I did, hadn't seen that other side of the coin reality because yeah, there's, there's so often where we will define something by what it's not instead of what it is. Yeah. It's like, no, the, the, it, it's, it's not the, it's not merely that the body should not be objectified. It's that the body is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, it's not like, and we do this in vocation sometimes where we'll define the call to the laity as not the priesthood or religious life. It's like, right. no, 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 you can't just define it by what it's not. There's, there's a, there's something to it also in the affirmative. And that's yeah. interesting that this is bringing that, yeah. uh, affirmative side to the, right. the yeah, dialogue. To make girls excited about how they were made and how femininity yeah. is such a wonderful gift. Cause sometimes modesty and all that is a little bit treated like a, a bandaid on like a greater mm. problem, which is that a lot mm. of girls don't understand their inherent worth. So let's talk to them first about how beautiful yeah. and like just the highly priv privileged role of being a woman um, all of the wonderful things that, you know, we were, we've been talking about, about being a woman. Yeah. Let's talk about that first, because then having a conversation about modesty and having reverence to your body, that will make sense to them. And they'll want to do that. It'll be like, yes, oh, I couldn't excited. agree more. They'll be like, Oh, I'm like a beautiful woman who yes. is a co-creator with God because I can conceive life in my womb and everything about <laughs> my identity as a woman is a reflection of being co-creator with God, like I'm so excited to dress in a, in a way that express, like, you know, shares that and upholds it. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Bishop Barron does a, a really good, um, just like, uh, an analogy to kind of the point that you're making with baseball. He's like, whenever we're talking about baseball and no, and, and you're talking to someone who's never experienced it before, but would be interesting would be interested in learning more about it. You don't start with some obscure rule. Or you don't yeah. tell them like the the basic uh, like un understanding of this very seldom expressed in the game rule. You you go throw baseball with them. Yeah. You show them someone swinging a bat. Like you have to. You have, we have to teach people. Like yeah, in evangelization the same way. Let's teach people about Jesus before we tell them everything that's demanded in the Christian life. Because right. because the demands make sense when I know the yes. person. And there's of freedom course they in it. Like when we, if we were to talk yes. about like the commandments yes. first, be like, God says, don't, yes. do this, don't do this. Yes. Yes. The perception of Catholicism is like, oh, those rules, people. It's like, no, right. there's so much freedom in the commandments. Yes. And yes. But if you don't lead with the person of Christ and who he is, yeah. then it's like, well, then of course it seems like rules. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Think about this analogy, right? Like if, if, uh, if someone shows me the top of a mountain and I'm overlooking a mountain range and they're like, you can, you can run around freely up here, but in order for you to do that more freely, we're actually going to put a fence around the top of this mountain so that you don't fall off. Yeah. When I know that the fence is there to keep me from falling off of something that's amazing, then yeah. I'm more likely to not despise the fence. Like, of yeah. course that's true. Yeah. And so, yeah, we have to protect something in order to suggest the things that are protecting it, you know? And so, um, yeah, or, or, or rather we, we have to like name the thing that we're protecting before we, um, describe all of the mechanisms for protecting it, which is really, really good. Um, yes. <laughs> I wonder if, if I could, before we have you give a little bit 
of uh, additional information to those listening today. If I could ask you one question that might be related to what we're talking about, but might also not be, um, Lily, what do you think your dream for the church is? What, when you look at the church today and you think like by the end of my life, here's something I would love to see new in the church or revived in the church or, yeah. um, or present in the church, what would that be? You know, this might sound kind of obscure and weird, but aside from having a conversation about personal style that doesn't solely revolve around modesty, I think Mm -hmm. that talking to lay people about how cool liturgical style is Mm -hmm. would be really cool. So I I work with Litany NYC, which is the first Catholic fashion label. And on our team, there's a girl who talks all about liturgical style. Her name is Mary Harper, and she Mm. is constantly fleshing out this really cool concept of dressing liturgically. And so it allows Mm. lay people to partake in the liturgical seasons in a very tangible way to enter into the faith in their physical self. Like I think that Mm -hmm. the sacramentality of the faith and because that's like who we are is like the materiality and the divine are constantly coming together. And Mm -hmm. we see this in the sacraments, but we also see this, we, or we should try and incorporate that in our daily lives as much as possible, Mm -hmm. where everything we do in our lives connects to our faith. And so I think that it would be so cool if, dressing liturgically was something that became Hmm. uh, like a common practice, like similar to how we dress up a church for the liturgical Mm -hmm. season or how Mm -hmm. the priests will wear, you know, specific colors for that season. Mm -hmm. Um, It'd be really cool if lay people started incorporating the things that they wear in a way to physically enter into whatever the liturgical season is and like to help their life, their, their faith life. Yeah, that's interesting. That's such a unique perspective. And that's what I've valued so much about the interview generally. I think this has me thinking about something I've never uh, thought about before. And I'm sure you get that a lot, but I'm, I'm really, um, I'm really glad for the conversation. It's also interesting because what you just said ties to a thought I had a, a number of months back when I was thinking to myself, I was like, if we just lived the liturgical calendar, well, we would all be saints. Yeah. Like the liturgical calendar is there for our good. And it, it, if I didn't add in like any crazy things and I just lived that faithfully, yeah, I would be a saint. And so, yeah, so I, I think that's such a unique perspective. Yeah, just in our everyday lives, like living out our faith and it not being the separate thing. Like, oh, I go to church on Sundays or mm-hmm. I pray mm-hmm. specifically only at this time. It's like, what if our entire day and everything we did was intertwined with our faith. Um, yeah. And that would just open up a conversation even with God on a daily basis, like where we would just be thinking about hmm. him and conversing with him like multiple times throughout the day, that he was our constant sure. companion. Yeah, that's really good. Oh, fascinated by it. Uh, <laughs> you heard it here first, folks, right? If you, if you live every day and every moment connected to God and, and by heard it for the first time here, hopefully it's the thousandth time you've heard it, but that would bring us to the saints and the unique revelations of the father that we're supposed to be. 
Um, Lily, I guess just uh, any information for those listening on um, how to how, how to maybe purchase Theology of Style, maybe where they can connect with you on social media? Yes, absolutely. So you can find Theology of Style at ascensionpress.com forward slash Theology of Style. Or you can go to my Instagram, which is Lillian underscore Fallon. I'm sure if you just typed in Lillian Fallon, it would come up still. And <laughs> my link in bio has a place where you can go and buy the book. It's officially available for purchase before it was a pre-order, but now it is ready to be sent to y'all. So, and also if you're interested in learning more about Theology of Style and kind of a little teaser trailer of what the book is about, you can go to Ascension Presents on YouTube and search my videos, Lillian Fallon, and there'll be like three videos that kind of summarize all of this. So you can kind of get a taste of like, well, do I want to buy this book? But you probably should anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really good. That's really, we'll try to put all that in the uh, the show notes. And uh, excuse me for laughing when you were mentioning the Instagram search, because I was imagining p- people putting in Lillian Fallon and Jimmy Fallon coming up, which you told me you're not sure if you're related to Jimmy Fallon, but the person across the street from you who also has the last name Fallon <laughs> is related to Jimmy Fallon. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, it's very strange. Yes. And I found this out literally <laughs> two days ago. Like our neighbors across the street, as weird and coincidental as it is that they have the same last name, Fallon, are actually related to, is related to <laughs> Jimmy Fallon because everybody asks me, are you related to Jimmy Fallon? And I'm like, I don't know. I think Irish people are all part of the same clan down the line somewhere, but this yeah, one sure, actually sure. is. <laughs> Well, now for anyone listening, you have heard that here first, right? So uh, Lily is not sure if she's related to Jimmy Fallon, but the person across the street from her by the same last name is related to Jimmy (laughs) Fallon. And you can find her Lillian Fallon on Instagram where you can find the theology of style that Ascension Press has put out. Lily, it's been such a joy to meet you. Thanks for taking the time with us. Oh, thank you. I've had such a good time. This was a great conversation. Yeah. And for all of you listening, this has been Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Remember, every sincere and authentic encounter with Jesus should lead us into the mission of our lives. And we'll see you next time.